You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. Well, again, I've entitled the message this morning, A Prayer of Protection. From John chapter 17, we're going to be looking at 6 to 19. And uh, probably could have preached three messages in this one. And so buckle up. We're about to take off. This morning we're continuing our study in the book of John. We're back in chapter 17. As we deal again with what many have called the prayer of prayers. Or the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. Last week we looked at the prayer of Christ on behalf of Himself. This week we're going to look at a prayer behalf, on behalf of the apostles, the disciples. Last week they looked into the face as we saw the sovereign timing of God. Now God's timing is always absolutely perfect. We saw His sovereign intention. And we looked at the sovereign reunion in which Christ asked the Father to bring them together so that they might share the glory for once He which had before the foundations of the world. Today there is a transition, so to speak, from God the Son to the subject of prayer to those whom are His disciples. He's going to pray on behalf of those apostles. Verse could really be Again, preached in three different sections, but we're going to shoot to accomplish it all in one sermon, meaning we'll most likely not cover every detail by which the 6 to 19 gives us. But without delay, let's jump right into our text this morning. Turn with me to John 17, verses 6 to 9. Hope you have your Bibles. If not, there's some PowerPoints that will help you follow along. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. Gave them to me. They have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. They received them and truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all that are mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them. And not one of them perish, but the son of perdition, so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, And these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in them. I have given them your word. The world has hated them 
because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you send me into the world, I also send them into the world. For their sake I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Things I want you to see as we approach this portion of Scripture today. The first thing I want you to see is we see the who of the prayer. Secondly, the what of the prayer. And thirdly, the why of the prayer. Let's jump right into point number one, the fact that we see the who of the prayer. The text reads, I've manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Notice, if you will, with me, the reminder once again that Christ continually through His prayer reminds you and I, the reader, that God has given certain ones to Christ. There are the ones for which this prayer, Christ says, that He has made the Father's name known to these particular ones, which I totally suggest are the disciples. Now the word here translated as manifest means to make clear, means to reveal. And that's a pretty important statement considering the fact that the Bible continually suggests that no one seeks after God unless God first draws them to Himself. Now this can be a hard concept to grasp in a world that creates its own truth. It creates his own false religions. But Psalm 14, 2 and 3 says, Yahweh looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there was anyone who has insight, anyone who seeks after God. And the Scripture said in verse 3, they have all turned aside. All together they have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now that's not a very encouraging passage, is it? So if you did have a pride issue and you thought to yourself that there was some purpose or reason in your own abilities that you knew God or had a knowledge of God because of your ability, you need to understand it's not because of your works, but because of God drawing you to a knowledge of Him. John will remind us in John 6.44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. This is a stark reminder that no one ever seeks after God unless he is first drawn by God to do so. And if you are seeking after God, I want you to know, praise the Lord, it's because He first sought after you. Jesus says in John 17, 6, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. 
In other words, the only way we can seek God is if the Holy Spirit has first stirred our hearts with a desire for God. Because it's God who draws man to Himself. And this ought to grant you and I a little confidence in those who don't know Christ yet. It ought to give us a little assurance that God is actually sovereign and in control of those who come to know Christ by faith. So when you go out into your highways and your byways and into your workplaces and into the life of the people whom you spend your day with and your time with, when you share the gospel and they reject, stand firm, my friends, it's okay. God's in control of that. It is our responsibility, rather, to be faithful to the truth of the gospel. That's what we ought to be concerned about. That's what we ought to be asking the question that as a true believer whom God has first drawn me to the knowledge of Christ, that now as a believer I am certainly going to try my best to be faithful in the proclamation of the gospel. But if statistics are right, many will never share their faith. Why is that? Why is it? It's either that you're too afraid of the world and what they may think of you, or you have bought into the lie that you should not be rejected, and therefore you're scared that they'll say no. Or, you don't understand the power in the gospel. And you have bought the lie that something outside of the gospel is going to fix the problems of this world. But when we grab hold of the truth of the gospel, and we understand that it is the grace of God through the wooing of the Spirit of God, through the preaching of the gospel, that people come to know Christ and are genuinely saved and that there's real heart change then you and I will be encouraged more and more to be faithful in simply opening our mouths and telling people about Christ. The only way we seek God is if God draws us first. And so who the prayer, the who of the prayer was the current disciples, chosen by God, revealed by Christ, and ultimately confirmed by the Spirit. So the first clue of the who's are the ones for which Christ was praying for. Those that are chosen by God, given to the Son, by which God had appointed as His disciples at this point. Christ not only clarifies in this prayer that the who's by the fact that they are chosen by God, given to Christ, but because of their also their obedience. He says in John 17, 6, I have manifest your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. There's ownership. You gave them to me, Christ says. And what? They have kept your word. One proof that you are truly a child of God, my friend, a real proof, a real confidence that you can have is that these apostles of Christ are those who have kept His Word. Evidence that you are chosen vessel of the Lord is that you are walking in obedience, my friends. That you are living out the victorious Christian life. 
This idea that you can just live any way you wish, sin as much as you wish, be addicted to this or that, and, and claim to be of Christ is an oxymoron. No, the evidence of your salvation is not that you've prayed a prayer, but that you continue walking in obedience to the Lord Jesus. He's given you His Word pertaining to life and to godliness. And there is an expectation that there is a level of Christian obedience. Now, I'm not talking about legalism, that you have to do A, B, and C in order to be saved. But know this. The one whom is saved, who has the Spirit of God living in them, will obey God the Father. And when we fail to obey in our imperfect abilities, He will discipline us. That discipline will be different for each person. But know this, He disciplines those He loves. So my suggestion is because of your inability to be perfect, for there was but one perfect, when you disobey God, when you contradict that which God says is sin, and it's sin, and you live in that sin, to repent. Like, immediately. And ask God to forgive you. Why? Because that's the desire of Him who desires to please the Father. There is a reality in which there should be obedience. The Bible has much to say about obedience. I'm not calling you to do anything He hasn't called me to do. And when I'm imperfect and I fail, I need your encouragement and you need my encouragement. We need one another's encouragement. Why? Because we're all one body in Christ and individually members of one another. The fundamental part of the Christian faith is obedience. Philippians 2.8, Jesus Himself showed that He was obedient even unto death. If God the Son was obedient to God the Father, how much more of an expectation is there for you and I to live out an obedient Christian life? Because when you go out into the highways and byways into the world and you have your cross on or whatever it is, the world's watching you and you're living like the world, it's, it's a bad representation of the body of Christ. Whether you like it or not, what you do, what you say, how you live has an effect on the body of Christ. I mean, Right? man asked me yesterday where I worked, and I said, I'm a pastor. And he said, oh, wow, that's great. He said, I'm a Christian too. I said, it's good. He said, but I left organized religion a long time ago. I had two options. I could have said, well, that's not really biblical. You know, the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling together. And I could have probably said that, and I, or I could have confirmed, yeah, it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship, and then maybe you would have never come to church. But well, why do you think he said that? Because too many Christians live their lives on Sunday as if they're men and women of the Word, and then they go out six days a week and they live like the world. They look like the world. They act like the world. And those people who are out there go, you ain't got nothing. And if you do got something, I don't want nothing to do with it. And a matter of fact, you ain't nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. Share your faith a little bit and you'll hear that. Why? Because it matters how you live. If you're going to profess Christ, 
If you're going to say that you've been born again, that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, it matters what you think and what you say and what you do and what you pose and how you live in a modern world. Because they're watching us. That's why he said in John 13, they will know you by the love you have for one another. Why? Because they're watching you. How you treat your spouse. How you treat one another. How you treat your employer. How you respond to your bosses. How you act at Walmart when there's one checkout line. And self-service ain't available. Obedience. The Scriptures have a lot to say about it. I mean, Luke 6, 46 says, Now, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I say? I mean, we can't just go around saying we're this when we don't look like that and act like that. And if that steps on your toes or if that kind of makes you feel uncomfortable, good. It ought to make you feel uncomfortable. Makes me feel uncomfortable. At least you don't have to tell people you, you're a pastor for a living and live in a glass house where you're judged on everything you do. You can hide behind the culture all you would like, but know this, those who are in Christ will act like they are in Christ. Because He who began a good work in you will, I promise you, see it to completion. It's a process. It's a process. Christ not only clarifies this idea, and if we're going to be honest, we don't always do what we're supposed to do. And that's, that, that's, a, re, that's a stark reality, isn't it? I mean, it's easy for me to say, be obedient. Live a life that honors Christ. Respond well. But it is a whole nother thing that when the world comes crashing down on you, that you respond in a way that honors Christ. Because every single one of us face the same trials of life at different times. Now, your struggles may be different than my struggles. But how you respond in your struggle will be a representation of who lives in you or who does not live in you. We can't just walk in a sinful state and never be repentant. We can just Just drop the pride and arrogance and the religious spirit and be honest that we don't always do what we ought to do. We need to take God very seriously, not just not each other that much. We need not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but think so as to have sound judgment. That we are all in need of God's grace and each other's grace each other's mercy and God's mercy. But if we live in a life 
that has no repentance over sin, my friend, that ought to make you scared. That ought to make you concerned. You ought to be asking yourself, do I really, really, really know Christ as my Savior? One article said it this way, Obedience is defined as dutiful or submissive compliance to the command of one in authority. Using this definition, we can see the elements of biblical obedience. Dutiful means our obligation to obey God. Just as Jesus Christ fulfilled His duty to the Father by dying on a cross on your and my behalf. Submissive indicates that we yield our will to God's will. Commands speak of the Scriptures which God has clearly delineated His instructions. And one in authority is God Himself whose authority is in total unequivocal control. For the Christian, obedience means complying with everything that God has commanded. It is our duty to do so. Now, I know we live in a world that wants to mess up that which God calls evil. And they want to make it good. But it is time we as the church, as the body of Christ, stop eating that poison. We have advocated our responsibility as the church to stand against that which is evil for the sake of being politically correct or unoffensive. We just take it in for a moment and realize it doesn't matter how offended somebody gets. Their soul is at stake, my friend. Your children are at stake. Don't think that Burger King just puts a top bun on the top and a top bun on the bottom during Pride Month because they're just trying to be funny. They're making a point. Everywhere we turn is out of control. It's like a fire hose just spraying sin. And many Christians is in there with their mouth open. I'm, uh, I'm thirsty. Let me get a little bit. No, it's not okay. Don't let them put that stuff down your throat. Stand against it. Teach your children right from wrong, good and evil. And when they go into schools and the world tries to permeate their mind, may they be bold and say, no, I will not accept that. You can buy that, but not me. Because the Word of God says it's wrong. And if God's Word says it's wrong, to do that or accept that is disobedience. If we fail to repent and ask God to forgive us, there's no reason to think that we are anything different than the world. We ought to repent and ask God to forgive us. Don't let your pride build you up so much that you fail to repent of that which you know is sinful. Sin is sin. And sin is easy to justify. I mean, seriously, it's easy to justify. It's simple to justify. 
to, to, to just accept that it's, oh, you know, it's better to, to ask for forgiveness than permission kind of mentality in the Christian faith. No, that which is wrong is wrong. That which is evil is evil. And that which is good is good. And God determines that which is good and that which is evil, not the culture. That's part of your Christian heritage, your Christian faith. We, we call it form and function. The form doesn't change. The sound doctrine does not change. The good theology does not change. The function may change. The appearance may change. The TV screens may be added. The lights may be added. But the doctrine must stay the same. Right is right and wrong is wrong. Truth is truth and error is error. And it's time we stand up for truth and reject that which is false because it's destroying many families. And in the end, the, the end result is that the nation is the way it is. The nation just didn't become this way. It was an attack against the family. Why? Because we've accepted error. We've tolerated it in our homes, on our television. We're all, I'm guilty. I've, I've, I've watched movies or, or done things or allowed my kids to participate in things that have, have shown themselves to be unworthy of their time. And today we can start to say, not no more. Not no more. Not today, Satan. We need to submit to His authority. And one of the marks of him who is in Christ, one of those of the who's for which Christ is praying is his true disciples, those that have what? Kept his word. Those who have obeyed the scriptures. Those who have obedient to Christ. Jesus said earlier in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he what? Keeps my word. Today we are not called to conform to the law of Moses because we are called to fulfill the law of Christ. Matthew 5.17 says, Don't think I've came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish it, but fulfill it. Christ fulfilled the law of Moses. Rather, we who are His, they that are the apostles, are rather to obey the law of Christ, which is the law of love. And boy, you're talking about a term that's been jacked up in 2022. What is love? John 13 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Love doesn't mean you accept sin. Because if you believe in heaven is literal, and if you believe that hell is literal, those who buy the lie that this is good when it's evil and you don't say anything against it, my friend, you are saying it's okay for them to go to hell. 
We are to love. Love means to honor one another and to encourage one another to godly living, to right living. It's it is absolutely loving for you to come to me and say, Pastor, what I saw was not honoring to Christ when you see me act out of line. Not everybody's willing to do that. I got a few gods in my life who are willing to do that. And I may not be very responsive, but I promise you, I hear. And I pray that when somebody has the guts and the love for you to come to you and say, this isn't right, that you would not reject that, but that you would be open to being disciplined by the Lord so that you can repent and ask God to forgive you so that you can press on and be sanctified in the Christian life. That's love. It's love to come alongside someone and help them in their time of need. It's love to see someone suffering and not judge them, but rather pray for them. Not devour them. Where's the gospel in that? Okay, they're wrong. They're sinful. Okay, where's the gospel? If you're just for with the Word of God and you're just like, boom, 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 and there's never any gospel and grace and forgiveness, you ain't nothing but a Bible thumper, literally. We need the love of Christ with the Word of God. We need the grace of God with the Word of God. That's love. It says in Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. How are you doing in bearing one another's burdens? I mean, we see it all the time in this church. I'm so grateful for what God has done here. I mean, people come in and they see all the churches full. They, they, don't, they weren't here early, were they? When there were just a few people. They weren't here for 30 years like Mr. Paul was and Mr. Alton and Miss Margaret. When there was nobody here. And they prayed over and over that God, by the grace of God, would revitalize this church. And God in His grace. We have a responsibility to one another as the body. We just went through the membership class for the last two weeks. We talked about our ministry pledges. We need to go through that as a church again. Because some of us need to be reminded of what we pledge to this church. And if it's just showing up and plopping down and getting up and leaving and going home and that's all you got, my friend, that ain't, that's membership. That ain't partnership. Membership brings about entitlement. Partnership brings about sacrifice and investments. We need partners in the gospel. Why? Because it takes work to love one another well. To bear one another's burdens. So the one whom Christ is referring to here is those who kept His word. Those who are His disciples. Those are the ones He is praying for. He's also suggesting 
that a, a way to know that these are the ones whom he's praying for, the ones that have come to know, that have gained a what? A knowledge. Again, everything but Christ was that said was true. He says here in verse 7 and 8, Now they came to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I've given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. So not only are they chosen, not only are they obedient, they have a knowledge, a belief, a trust in God. We talked last week about the very important factor of being a Christian is the knowledge of God. You either have a knowledge of God, a growing knowledge of God and who God is, or you don't have a knowledge of God. And we talked about the benefits of having the knowledge of God, and we talked about the problems of not having a knowledge of God. The dangers. But these whom for Christ is praying are those who are truly His disciples, the ones that the Father in His sovereign timing preordained to be chosen... And what we have is a sneak peek in the interceding of God the Son on behalf of those who are His. It's a, the, a prelude, so to speak, to when He would ascend to the right hand of the Father where the Scripture says now He is interceding on your behalf. We see that lived out here. You, you realize that Christ is up there in heaven seated at the right hand of the Father where He is praying for you and for me that ought to encourage you. That ought to encourage every one of us. They had a level of belief that the Father sent the Son. The Son became flesh and dealt among them. Yes, that He lived a perfect life. Yes, that He died on the cross. Although they didn't understand all this in full yet. They would. That He rose again from the grave. And yes, that He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And yes, that He would intercede on their behalf, and yes, He would come back and call His church to Himself. I think He's been very clear as to who these are for which He is praying. And the current disciples who are those who are marked by choosing obedience in their knowledge and belief in Christ. Do you believe in Christ? Do you believe that He is truly the only way? Shall I even remind you today that if these are not the marks of your life, then maybe you aren't whom you claim to be. But Christ loves His church. Christ loves His disciples. They are His. And for those that are given, none would He ever lose. So we see the who of the prayer. But secondly, I want you to see the what of the prayer. What is it that Jesus in this passage of Scripture is praying for? Let's read together. Verse 9, I ask on their behalf. You could translate that intercede or prayer. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, and for they are yours. Again, Christ is praying on their behalf. Those whom are the Father's. We're reminded over and over and over that, that He is praying for those specific ones for whom the Father has given. But more so here, I want you to notice the declaration of whom He's not praying for. That ought to throw you off a little bit. 
not praying for the world. And if he isn't praying for the world, then my encouragement for you is don't be in the world. Don't be a part of the world. Don't act like you love the world. Because if he isn't praying for the world, and he's praying for those in which he is called out of the world, then we ought to be on the opposite side. Matter of fact, in 1 John, we learn chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. Anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Does that need interpretation? That means, does, do I need to read you the Greek and exegete the text? Don't love the world, nor the things of the world. And if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That ought to be a scripture every one of us memorize. Every one of us should quote every day when we wake up. Because let me tell you what we live in a day when there is much call to love the world and the things of the world. So much so that we risk the knowledge of understanding that if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Why? Because this is not your home. This is temporal residence. We're fixing to move. Don't fall in love with too much of your community because this is just a temporal community by which you're going to be a part of. Don't fall in love with politics. Yes, stand up for truth. Fight for what's right. But don't forget, this ain't your home. This ain't your nation. Your home is in heaven with Christ. And that's where you're going to go. And you ain't going to be looking back down here going, boy, they're really having a bad time. No, 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 no. You see, the devil, the enemy, wants you to lose track of that which is eternal and focus on that which is temporal, which is the things of this world. So if your whole life revolves around the things of this world and not that which is eternal, then you are risking yourself from being sucked into the line which the devil would love to have you no more involved in the things that really don't matter in the end. For the sake of that which is most important, that which is eternal. It's all about perspective, isn't it? He intercedes for those who are His, and thus we can pre-assume He does not intercede for those who are not His own. My suggestion is you be His. You be one for whom He prays for. The one whom He intercedes on your behalf. And the only way that you can truly be one whom He intercedes for is to put your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I don't know if I can preach the gospel enough. It doesn't matter, listen, it doesn't matter how many times we say it. Until God opens the person's eyes, they will not hear. Until his ears are opened by the sovereign king, they will not hear. 
They will stay focused on the world and the things of the world and trying to accomplish all of that's in the world and they will never be saved. My prayer is that God would give you ears to hear and eyes to see and that when the gospel is preached, you will say, I need Christ. And I want to be about the work of Christ. This world will never save you. And then it will never give you what you want. And therefore, if that's what you're seeking, you will always lack satisfaction. Your joy will be empty. My suggestion is that you listen and you realize that He has brought you here today to hear the call and the plea to repent and believe the gospel whether that be in this room, whether that be in the overflow, whether that be online, social media, wherever it is you are hearing this or whenever you are hearing this message, is that you would repent and believe the gospel so that you may be His and not of the world so that while He sits at the right hand of the Father, He may intercede on your behalf as well. We see the example here of what it looks like for God, the Son, to intercede on behalf of His children in person. And yet not on behalf of the world. Love, verse 10, He says, All the things that are mine are yours. And yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. There is an equality of ownership. Kind of like my wife. Everything I own is my wife's and everything my wife owns is mine. There is ownership in our marriage. Now, I am not my wife and my wife is not me. But we equally own that which we have been given. And while we equally have ownership, I don't want you to miss that I've been called to lead that family. And while Jesus and God, listen, have co-equal ownership, God the Father is not God the Son, and God the Son is not God the Father, and God the Son, listen, submits to God the Father in absolute perfect submission. God the Son doesn't go out and try to gather for Himself those who the Father has not given Him. His job is to go out and to pray for the elect. It's not to go out and to try to get those whom the Father has not given. It's to obey the Father. To pray for those whom have been chosen in God's sovereign timing before the foundations of the world. Again, you cannot deny the doctrine of election. God has before the foundations appointed those unto salvation. He knows the beginning and He knows the end. Now, we may disagree on the doctrine of election and how it unfolds, whether it's, you know, uh, election based off of His grace or unconditional election or conditional election. But you can't deny election. Those He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. God is in control. God submits. The Son submits to the Father. And we know that He is leaving the world 
And thus he can say, I am no longer in the world. Verse 11, and yet they themselves are in the world and I have come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. The name which you have given me that they may be one even as we are. There is a prayer of divine protection here. And unity between God the Father and God the Son. And is God's Son, God the Son's desire as He prays to God the Father that they share this same unity. The mark of the church is unity. You, you, you get that? The mark of the church is unity. He wants to make sure they have the same unity. That they have the same oneness. That they, that, that, that they build the same mind as that of Christ. And therefore, Paul can call us in Ephesians 4, 1-6, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, exhort you to walk worthy of, of the calling which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so he here is praying for a divine unity and protection. Listen, the devil wants to disunify the body of Christ. And he will pull out every tool in his toolbox to do so. He wants to disunify your family. He wants to disunify your children. He wants to bring people into your life that don't need to be in your life. For the ultimate purpose of disunifying the body of Christ. The encouragement is to stay unified. Be of the same mind, the same spirit. And anybody who is always on the fringe of trying to bring disunity, you better keep your eyes close to them. Because it isn't honoring to Christ. It isn't honoring to Christ. It says in John 17, 12, While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished but the son of perdition. So the Scriptures would be fulfilled. He, he just confirmed what He's already said several times, and that is, for all those was given none did He lose. The disciples, listen, they walked with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. He protected them. He guarded them. He comforted them. He knew them. Even He knew the one that would leave out from them. But he knew that they would face some of the most wretched times that they would ever experience when he departed from this world. He knew the suffering that was on the horizon for these disciples. Jesus knew that the Father needed to continually protect them as he did while he was here on earth. And so he prays for their protection. That's what, he's, that's what he's praying for. And I really, I, I think that's the thrust of this whole section. 
is that we have a heavenly Father who prays for your protection. And that comforts me. I don't know about you. It comforts me to know that we worship a Christ, the Son of God, who cares about us when He leaves. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't forsake us. He doesn't leave us alone. And I know, listen, I know the world's all pressured on you and you feel all alone. And you feel like you got nothing left. But I want you to know this. Whatever it is you're going through this morning, you have a Heavenly Father who loves you. Who wants to protect you. And who will watch over you and walk with you through whatever it is you're going through. Because it's in those most difficult times of life that you grow closest to Christ. It's in the valleys of life. When you're down as far as you can go, the only way you can look up is because you're in the bottom. You have a God who loved you enough to send His Son Christ to die on your behalf that you might be saved, and that He will never leave you and never forsake you. He continually confronted the disciples and reminded them that the Holy Spirit, whom would come in His name, would grant them what? Peace. And so He cries out to the Father, to protect those whom He has chosen. Those whom had predetermined to be His disciples. And even, He says, though He knew the one who predetermined to dip His bread and kiss the cheek of Christ in absolute deception. And all of that was ultimately to fulfill the purpose of which God had preordained. And so the Lord says, keep them in your name. You see, I don't think that we really grasp the importance of this text when it says name. I mean, we live in a time in which we just, that sounds like a cool name, we'll name it. We'll name our child this or that. It's Uncle Bobo's last name, so we'll just call him Uncle Bobo's last name or Grandma Mary. And so we're going to name her Mary because we love our mother and our fathers and our aunts and our uncles and our best friends. Titus Franklin Guthrie. Why Franklin? Because he's got a, a friend in Montana who named Franklin. We love him. He's a great brother in the Lord. But in these days, Names meant something. They had meaning with them. In one verse, he says, I've manifest your name. I've made known your name. It brings about the idea that, listen, when you know the name of God, you know the character of God. I kept them in your name, Father, the one who is Alpha, the one who is Omega. 
The one who is the beginning and the end. The one who is omniscient. The one who is omnipresent. The one that is omnipotent, all-powerful. Jehovah Jireh. The one who can provide. The one who can protect. The one who is transcendent yet intimate. Who loves you. Who cares for you. Who knows every circumstance for which you face. Every discontentment that you have. Every insecurity that runs through your mind. Each week when you try to be something God hasn't designed you to be. He knows you in and out. Father, keep them in thy name. So Holy Father, keep them in your name. We see the who of prayer. We see the what of prayer. And we see the finally, the why of prayer. Jesus continues in this prayer to the Father on behalf of His disciples. It says in John 17, 13, But now I come to you. These things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. The first why or the reason we see Christ offers this prayer is, is, is to those disciples who are still present. Christ has not yet departed on the cross, but He will very soon. He, he kind of, He's kind of premature on some of these things He's saying, but it shows that He is omniscient, that He knows all things. But ultimately, why? So that His joy may be in them and it may be made full. How is that possible? Listen, the joy which Christ offers is found, I want you to understand, in His Word. It's in His Word. These are the promises of God to you and to me. This Word will bring you joy. It will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Word. And he says in verse 14, I have given them your Word. I mean, he's basically saying, Father, I've given them everything pertaining to life and to godliness. I've given them everything that is truth, that is sustainable, that is trustworthy, that obtains true power from above. I've given them food for their soul. I've given them Your Word as to bring about my joy in their lives. I've given them everything in my Word that allow my joy to be made full in them. But know this, it comes from the Word of God. We, we, we should hunger for the, the Word of God. Why is it that we don't? Why is it so hard to wake up, to yearn for the Word of God? Because our minds are so busy with the things that are of the world. I remember when I lived next door in the parsonage. And I had stored everything in that little shed back there. And one day I opened that shed after a couple of years and it was so packed full of stuff. I mean, I couldn't even get in it. I think I just started throwing stuff in there at some point. But one day I said, you know what, I really need the access here. And so I slowly cleaned out the shed. 
piece by piece and got rid of that which I did not need, which was most of what was in there. But once I cleaned it out, I was able to walk in and utilize the space. Listen, that's like us. We're too full. We don't have any left. No space for God, for His Word. It's full up with the busy schedule of life. It's full up with the phone calls we have to make. The appointments we have to fulfill. The jobs that need to be complete. And so it preoccupies our mind. The social medias that exist today, it's not just Facebook anymore. Now it's Facebook. It's Telegram, it's Twitter, it's Instagram, it's this and that and this and that, and we have to check it all because we got to be engaged in everything. And so our minds are captivated by things that are temporal and meaningless when He has given us His Word. And it always takes the back seat when it should not because it is that which will give us joy. The Word... The Word of God, the Scriptures, is likened to milk, to honey, to meat. It's good for the soul. Without it, my friend, you will find yourself malnourished and without joy. But know this, when you start eating on this thing, this Word, and you start living in it, and it starts coming out of you, know this, it does not come without a cost. When you believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, when you believe He's given us everything pertaining to life and to godliness, no, it does not come without a cost. It costs you something. If you're going to be faithful and standing on God's Word, you're going to be standing on the sufficiency of Scripture. If you're going to be standing on the old idea of sola scriptura, Scripture alone, if you're going to exalt the Word of God above the thoughts of mankind, know this, it will not come without a cost. It will cost you everything. When you go to that brother or sister in their sin, and they ain't ready, it will cost you a friendship. Truth of God's Word, listen, will reveal the wheat and the tear. It's like a light going off in a house full of roaches. They will scatter. And those whom you thought were your friends, you will find out real quick, they ain't your friends. A matter of fact, they want to act like your enemy. But know this, it's all worth it. If you're a student of the Word. It's all worth it. So when you speak up for truth, don't, don't be surprised if you're publicly defamed. But maybe they need the reminder that Scripture says not to bear false witness. It's always considered sinful. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It's the tenth. The, the ninth of the Tenth Commandments. A false witness or the spread of false reports is associated with being aligned with the wicked. Exodus 23.1 
It's considered willing to do violence with other people. Psalm 27, 12. It's sowing discord among the brothers. Proverbs 16, 19. The Bible calls false witnesses lying in Proverbs 14, 15. 14, 5. It goes as far as comparing a, a man who bears false witness against his neighbor as a violent weapon. Proverbs 25, 18. Lies harm people. It's evil. Beware when you stand up against pride in this month and you say that a sinful lifestyle is a lifestyle of homosexuality, it ain't going to go over well. They ain't going to like it. But maybe they need to be reminded of the Scriptures out of love that homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God. What do you do with that? I'm going to tell my kids I'm going to speak about it from the pulpit. And I'm going to give them the word and love and grace because I love them. I don't want them to go to hell. I was going to hell before March 25th, 2001. I needed somebody to tell me about my sin. But they were born that way. We're all born that way. The Bible says in Psalm 51.5, we were born into iniquity. That's why John chapter 3 says you must be born again. We need to be reminded the word of God will come at a cost, my friends. Those whom you thought were close to you won't be so close to you. The Word of God is sufficient and true. Be weary when you say to someone, you can't speak like that. can't use that kind of language because it's unwholesome. Are you telling me I can't drop the F-bomb? Are you telling me I can't say this bad word and that word and be a Christian? Come on, man. You legalists. I remember a young man just was arguing with my kids outside that it was okay to curse. What? Maybe they need a reminder of the Word of God. So we give them a reminder of the Word of God. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome talk proceed from your mouth, but only such a word is good for building up what is needed so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do you have graceful speech? Or do you speak to people like they're dirt and say, I'm a Christian? The Word of God does not come without a cost, my friend. The bottom line is this, Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrows, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Your joy will come from the Word of God, but at that expense will be the world will hate you. So blessed are you when people hate you. Jesus is backwards, isn't He? Blessed is He who hate. I don't like being hated. I don't want to be hated by people, but blessed is He when people who hate you, when they exclude you, when they... You ever been excluded? Hmm, let me think about that. I'm a preacher. I don't get invited to most places. Why? Because they can't act like what they normally act like when the preacher's around. Like God ain't with them. <laughs> Blessed are you when they hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you, when they scorn you as your name is evil. <laughs> on the account of the Son of Man, on the account of Christ. So know this, this is where you will find your joy. It will feed your soul. It will give you clarity. It will give you understanding. 
It will give you the ability to see every circumstance for which you face in light of Christ and an opportunity of gospel. When people attack you with false testimony and they bring up your past, oh, you was a wicked man. You're right, I was wicked. You don't know half of it. But let me tell you about a God in heaven who saved me from my past, who has cast my sin as far as the what? East is from the west. Every opportunity in which you attack gives you gospel opportunity. And when it does not, just keep your mouth shut. He says, I've given them your word. Verse 14. And the world has hated them. Of course they have. They don't hate you. They hate the word of God is what they hate. Because it convicts their soul. Pierces to them. Shows them their error. And it shows us our pride and our unwillingness to repent of our sin. That's what the Word does. Pierces our hearts. They hated them because they are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world. No doubt Christ was in the world. He was in the world, but not of the world. He was focused on the eternal perspectives the job which God had given him to do, he wasn't wrapped up in the political circus. He wasn't wrapped up in a woke movement. He wasn't about establishing his own agenda. He wasn't about proving people wrong or right. He wasn't even about approving the world. He didn't try to make it a better place. Isn't that the song? That we might make the world a better place. Not ain't what he was about. Matter of fact, he says it was going to get worse. Matter of fact, he said there would be tribulation. <laughs> there would be persecution. He was, he was in the world, but not of the world. He had one purpose, one intention. Christ understood that they were not coming out, at least not at this point. And thus he prays for those disciples who would be in the world. He's coming out, but they would be there he says, I don't ask you to take them out of the world. I kind of wish he would. But he says, rather, I, I pray you keep them from the evil one. While they're here, keep them from the evil one. Protect them. While they are here in this world, the Son prays the Father, prayed to the Father that he would protect them. That he would keep them, that he would set them apart from the evil one his demons, their deeds, their methodologies, and the world which loves the devil and his ways. You have a Father who's protecting you, my friends. If you will submit to his ways, if you will love him, if you will honor him, because he says they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world, and because they are not of the world, nor the thing, nor they love the things of the world, they were truly children of God. And thus the Son knows that they will be sanctified and it's only by one method which they are sanctified, which they are made more like Christ, and it's through the Word of God. By the Word of God, through the Spirit of God. And so Jesus says in John 17, 19, Sanctify them by the truth. Your Word is truth. You want to know what truth is? This is truth. This is truth. Everything you hear that contradicts this ain't truth. So in this postmodern, self-created world of fabricated truth, 
No, it's a lie. If it does not line up with the Word of God, it is false. He says, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy Word is truth. Sanctify comes from the Greek word hagiazo, which means to make holy. The Son of God is praying to God the Father that He would sanctify them in His Word, that He, that, that he would make them holy through His living Word. Listen, if you want to change the world, if you want to change sinful man, if you want a lasting eternal effect, if you want to see an unholy world become holy, my friends, it will only come from a sanctified person in God's Word. It's through His truth. So it doesn't matter who's in office. God put them there. Read Daniel. Doesn't matter what role you've been given to play. Doesn't matter who's in the pulpit. Doesn't matter who's on the mission field. Doesn't matter who's in the White House. Does not matter. Because I want you to know that if you're seeking true change of lives, of real people, then it's going to come from speaking the truth of God's Word and living it out. Not just posting it to social media. My goodness, just go to Google and type in anything. It'll pump out a bunch of verses and you can click, post, click, post. Holy am I. No, you've just posted some Scripture. Have we lived it out in obedience? Sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Study it. Yearn for it. Love it. Do you believe that the word is truth? If you do, then hide it in your heart. Eat it. Feed on it. Read it. Devour it. Let it take root in your heart. Let it become your passion, your sustenance, your necessary intake. Let it become like water is to a fish. Let it become like oxygen is to a lung because it's not until you become a student of God's Word that you will go into the world and accomplish all that God has planned for your life. You can't go in and infiltrate them with psychobabble. It's the weapon for which you have been given to fight the enemy and his demons. It's not the weapon which you've been given to beat over the head of people. To act like you want them to act. They are the world. They are lost. They will not act like you want them to act. But if you want them to change, it will be because you share the hope of Christ. You share the Word of God with them. We have to do all things in love, but nevertheless, our hope is for change in the hearts of people. Closes out with verse 18 and 19. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. For their sake I sanctify myself, that they, they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. We are called to go in prayer. That's what he wants the disciples to do. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Christ was the example for which he was sanctified so that they might be sanctified in his truth. He gave up his life on the cross. He died so that you and I might be sanctified, that we might be born again, that we might be made right before God, that we might be made holy. They would need this prayer as they faced the most devastating days of their lives. Christ understood it was the truth of His Word that the Father had given Him that would allow their joy to be made full 
that the gospel would reach the ends of the earth and to save all those who would believe. What can we learn from today? From this prayer of protection. The who, the what, and the why. God loves you. God wants to protect you. And He wants your joy to be made full. And it is through the Word by which it will be. Let's pray. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. And be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org. And come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.